something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glaser, a mental health podcast helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer. Welcome back to Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer. And just a reminder for everybody out there, uh, this is my shameless plug here to reach out and grab my book, Unbreakable, how I turn my depression, anxiety into motivation, and you can too, because uh, that's what we need to do. It's in the book, you know, it talks about the gray and my own depression, anxiety, my ADD, the bipolar, everything, but everything that I also use to try and get me through the gray and one of those is to have teammates and to reach out and find new teammates. And uh, that's what I'm doing today. With that, I, I'd gotten um, some messages not too long ago from some people from Ohio State said, man, you really need to to get connected with this one young man out there in, in Ohio State. And it was incredible of the bravery and courage that I saw of my next guest who is joining me right now here, my dude, Harry Miller from Ohio State University. How's everything going with you? Very good. Just, just very busy. Just, um, a few more weeks left of class and then the semester's over. So of course, this is when all the projects are, are getting into the nitty gritty long hours and then finals and whatnot. So, um, very good. Just very busy. You know, I'm kind of like, it was almost like a starstruck thing for me right here. Cause I'm like, man, I've been watching your journey for so long. I've been wanting to get in touch with you. And here's the first chance we get to do it again. People say I'm brave for me coming out and, and describing it. But I think what you've done is a completely different level than a lot of us. I appreciate that. In the middle. And it really was. It was, and I hope you could, could accept that and realize how brave and courageous it was for you to do that and how many other people you've probably saved by doing this as well. So with that, I kind of want to open up for you. I want you to tell people your story here where, and it just, it affected and touched me so much. And I know it will so many of our listeners. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I am still currently attending the Ohio State University. I'm a senior studying mechanical engineering. And I played football at the Ohio State as well. I played offensive line and, you know, came in as a, as a highly tattered recruit, depending on the service, you know, a one or one or two ranked center in the country, you know, came in and worked my way into some playing time. My freshman year, sophomore year started. And then going into my junior year, you know, beginning to talk to agents about the potential of, you know, playing in the NFL, playing professionally, making lots of money, you know, fame, fortune and everything that goes with fame and fortune, right? 
So lots of talks of that, lots of anticipation. But sort of, you know, going into my junior season, I felt, you know, for lack of a better term, quite awful and was grappling with, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And it got to a point where, you know, I understood either, you know, I'm I'm not going to survive this or I'm going to talk about it. And, you know, just as, you know, what I do and I don't know what else to do, I called my mom and I said, you know, this is the deal. She said, okay, talk to Coach Day. And so the next day I talked to Coach Day and, you know, I explained you know, when I when I leave the facility, I go home and, and have suicidal thoughts and, you know, sort of gave him the rundown. And I was just honest with him because, you know, at that point, I had nothing to lose. Um, this was all just sort of, you know, pitter-pattering on the way out the door. And, you know, there was no there was no harm done in, in seeing if, if something could come out of it. So, you know, I told him and... Real, real quick, on, did you just start having suicidal thoughts that year? Or is it something that you've always struggled with? It's something I, I first started seeing... Um, you know, psychiatrist when I was eight years old. And that's when I first, you know, voiced to my mother, um, you know, back then I didn't have a concept of a word like suicide. Right. But I would tell my mom, you know, I don't want to feel this way anymore. You know, such heavy feelings, you know, and feelings that you can't get out from under. Yep. And so the only rational thing at that point seemed to just stop having those feelings. And there was only one way I knew to do that. And um so I started getting, you know, mental health support at a young age at eight years old. And, um, you know, over, you know, the next decade, as, as I would become a young man and go to Ohio state, I would have, you know, latent period periods and, and periods when, you know, things were also very well. And, but I think, you know, going to Ohio state and, you know, I just, I just saw a recent post of yours talking about, you know, you know, healing the child version of yourself. It's, you know, there's a lot of mental stress fractures, mental micro fractures that you can get away with, if you don't have to bear a large load, if you don't have to be exposed to extreme forces. But once you get to something, say, like playing college football at Ohio State, microfractures are going to break under extreme pressure. And I was under extreme pressure. And with unresolved issues that I had deep throughout my childhood, um, it sort of came to a head heading into that junior year. And, you know, I had to. And that's it's the, and that's when I really, I don't know, went all in with working with sports psychiatry and sports psychology. And I was a person who I had an experience a good experience working with sports psychiatry. But I remember when, um, you know, they were sort of advertised to us as a resource. I told one of my friends, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to somebody who's paid to care about me. If I'm going to kill myself, they're not going to stop me. And I was a person who had a good experience. So because of that, you know, I really, I really sympathize and I understand how the, the perspective to not want to receive help. And especially like, you know, I remember going in to talk to coach day. It's like, you know, we've got a season to worry about. I'm pretty sure we were just like a week out of our home opener. I'm like, this is a huge waste of time. It's like, I'll just kill myself, get this out of the way and let them worry about the season because, you know, that's, that's what I was conditioned to believe. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, I don't know if this is only reduced to, to sport. I don't know if this is reduced to being a man. I don't know if this is just reduced to being a human in the modern age when we're really worried about productivity, but with the mentality of the show must go on. I had, I had no regard for any sort of self-preservation and, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that, you know, I was saved by a couple moments where I had uh, a, a pause, a, a moment to think. And, you know, I spoke with people and eventually that just, you know, continually compounded and added more time until eventually I was in a healthier spot. And, you know, it can be in a moment like this where I can reflect on that um, as opposed to succumbing to immediate thoughts that are, you know, harmful and detrimental. And there's so much to unpack here. But you realize if you do, if you follow through on that suicide, it's not just the show must go on. And the rest of your, those guys are your family too. They got to deal with that and, and carry that. 
Right. right. I think a lot of people don't see that. And I, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to villainize suicide because it's almost too glorified these days. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's and it's so uh, I described it as like, you know, the world's most convincing salesman. Yeah, it is extremely especially like when you're when you're thinking of it, it's it's extremely romanticized. And, you know, of course, and I don't know, in art or literature, there's there's such a you know, I, I think of like all the World War. There's like a lot of World War One poets who you know, there's one. That says, you know, Dolce et decorum es patrimonio. It is sweet and proper to die for one's country. And I think it was Ezra Pound, but it was somebody just talking about how, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing glorious about, you know, dying. It's, it's blood dripping out of your mouth. It's foam and a bloated face and, and bodies. And it's a pretty wretched process. And, um, you know, it's of course something that everybody has to go through, but I think I agree. It is sort of something that I think anything that sort of happens behind the scenes, which I think, you know, mental health and depression, suicide is something that sort of occurs behind the curtain. It becomes glamorized yeah. because we don't see it. And that's sort of been, you know, a mission of mine where I was talking at an event, I think just a week ago. And, you know, we were having a panel underneath these, on a big stage underneath these bright lights. And when you take anything out to scrutinize it underneath bright lights, you sort of, it sort of loses a lot of its luster. It stops becoming this really big mystifying thing. And you can grapple with it much easier. And I hope that's a process that, you know, in popular culture continues to be done. I think that, you know, like I tell this to a lot of our combat vets and a lot of people nowadays, is, look, a lot of us think our lives suck way more than we ever did because of social media, right? We're oh, comparing sure. ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of one second of one day and like, well, how come I'm not at that event? Why am I not this successful? Why am I, are, my dreams aren't come true. How come I don't have that meal, right? Or, or we're, we just feel so left out or we see so much shit on Twitter. At the same time, when someone kills themselves, all you're seeing is, oh, my gosh, it's outpouring of love. So when your right. problems feel so intense, you go, well, shit, Johnny just killed himself. Everybody's yeah, as well. him, right? I might as well yeah. do the same thing. For sure. It's up to people like us to, to stop that narrative. For sure. Right. And, it's, and it's, of course, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like, sure, you can get, I don't know, as much applause as you want, but it's applause happening in another room. Like you've already left. There's. You are not you anymore. You're something else. You've, you've reduced yourself to something else and you're not, you're not there to hear it. And, you know, I understand. And that was never really, you know, fortunately for me, that was never a, a pro on my pros and cons list of, you know, whatever amount of glory or, or recognition. Um, but I think that is something that is extremely tempting and glamorized. And I've talked with a lot of parents who, you know, you've got, there's a lot of young, there's, it's, it's, it's endemic amongst young kids. Um, and I think especially because there's a lot of kids deprived of attention. And when you only see attention attributed to a child doing, you know, a bad action or God forbid suicide, um, it's really easy as a young person, as a child to extrapolate that and think, you know, the only way I can be deserving of yeah. any verbal outspoken love is to do something as drastic as commit suicide, unfortunately, which, which is something, you know, I hope as parents communicate more is, is not the case. When you went and talked to, to coach day about it, you then stepped away from the team, right? And when did you go to a facility? Did you just step away and continue your mental health journey? What what had happened there? Yeah, so I, I spoke with Coach Day, and um, you know, he said, you know, if you're if you're feeling this way, then you know perhaps you should take the day off. And I said, you know, Coach Day, I've been feeling this way for a long time. The only difference is now that you know about it. And so, you know, even after meeting with him, I practiced that day. Wow. I had to practice the next day, and it, I was just mentally out of it, right? And um, it was something where I could go through the motions, but, you know, to go through the motions in a sport like football is really yeah. dangerous. Yeah, not good. Um, get hurt easy, <laughs> not, let alone, you know, if you if you miss an assignment. But so that's when I sort of stepped away, worked with sports psychology. But even then, sort of the 
you know, we were operating under the assumption that, you know, this is a detour and this is something that's going to be course corrected. And eventually I'm going to be back playing football. And we, you know, the timetable even looks like, you know, we're going to get this fixed in two weeks and you'll be back playing football. And, you know, weeks pass. And this was a, the most life threatening injury there is, right? You know, so I worked with, I worked with sports psychology diligently and, and psychiatry over the next few weeks. And I played a couple games that season, you know, between moments of, you know, self harm and suicide attempts and played two games. And fortunately, you know, I, I tore my PCL completely. And, you know, it was actually really a godsend to be able to experience a season ending physical injury because then it gave me the excuse. And because there were a lot of people speculating about my health that fall, you know, making, you know, rumors or speculations about, you know, vaccination or about, um, wow. you know, bad conduct outside of football. So a lot of people trying to speculate, you know, why isn't he playing? And, um, you know, fortunately this was sort of a, you know, it was, it was a, it was a card that just covered everything and said, you know, no, his knees torn in half. So he can't play for the rest of the season. It was actually tremendously useful because then, and I, th- you know, I don't think I wanted to admit it at the time, but it gave me the physical excuse to be withdrawn and to fix myself mentally. And so I did that process and it was a tear of my PCL. And so that began to recover. I healed that and then continued to heal mentally. And then, you know, come the next year. So that was 2021. Come 2022, January, February, you know, it's, it's becoming obvious that playing football is perhaps not sustainable for me and that I should medically retire. And so we began that process in, in January or February, I believe, early on. But, you know, there's paperwork to go through. So even then, you know, I had the paperwork going through to medically retire. But I was still I was still working out with the team. I had been voted to be like a um, a unit leader for, you know, a group of, you know, six to seven guys. So, you know, we were doing, you know, match drills and off-season workouts. And I knew the whole time that, you know, I wasn't going to be playing the following season. But I had been voted by my peers to lead them. So I said, I'm going to see this through. And the off-season training ended, spring ball came, and, you know, there was no reason for me to be taking up a spot, wasting time. And, you know, I wasn't even going to publicly announce that, you know, I was medically retiring. You know, I just didn't, I didn't want to, to have this attention grab. I didn't want to make a spectacle of this thing. I wanted to, to be, you know, gracious of people's, you know, time and space and just see myself out the door. But again, there was a lot of people that spring speculating because, you know, and, and fairly like, I sort of disappeared from the starting lineup and that's when, you know, I released a letter, um, you know, stating that I was medically retiring and stating why and, you know, thus started, um, you know, that was sort of set a precedent of me being able to advocate for mental health. And, you know, I've had a long experience with it. I've had a, a severe experience with it. Unfortunately, you know, I, and I think it's tragic where I'm really grateful that, you know, I'm the person where all this shit hit the fan because unfortunately, like, I think if this was, you know, somebody at, say, not a power five school and they had the exact same symptoms, this would be easily discredited as whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm just, I'm very grateful that, you know, I've, I've done well in school and I'm grateful that I played football well because it legitimized the reality that, you know, yes, I mean, I've even, I've done all of these things, but it, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Um, this is real and this happens. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just really grateful. Yeah. A high, you know, high that, profile player at a high profile program. Yeah. yeah, which which ends up giving it the attention that it deserves. Right, right. Which which I'm very grateful for. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. 
to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts couple things here i like to describe so you know I, I wrote my book so i can give people the words to describe it right not just say mental health like we're all saying oh i have mental health issues so i'm trying to describe it so people go oh shit i have that too or that i feel that also so for me the way i describe it is and my and sure like you mine's every day every day is hard for me to get out of bed and i wake up every single morning feeling like fucking sky is falling it's gray i, I feel it on bad days in my joints, on the left side of my gut, behind my rib cage. I feel like everybody wants bad for me. Like the universe hates me and I know the universe doesn't. Like the universe is, is, is on our side. Um, what does it feel like for you? If you could describe it. You know, I think for me, a lot of times of this feeling, um, just terribly unworthy. And even for oh, me yeah. when a lot of that, when, yes. <laughs> when I wanted to, when I wanted to kill myself, it was, I, I still maintained a real reverence, a real piety for the universe, for the creator, what have you. And I sort of viewed it as I was just in the way I was, I was taking up space. And it's sort of like, it felt like an early morning when you get up and the world is still and nothing's happened yet. And like there's this, just this serene body of water that doesn't have a single ripple on it. And I felt like I was just, just wading through it and making such a mess of everything. And it was something where I would have, I would have held my breath forever just to keep that moment perfect, just to keep, you know, everything serene. But for me, I just felt, I felt gargantuan. I felt like Godzilla wandering through a city and just doing everything so terribly wrong, whether it be, you know, your relationships or 
what have you. And it just makes you feel quite awful. And, you know, I never felt, I was never angry, but I always just felt, I felt tremendously guilty. And of course, it's, it's a positive feedback loop where, I don't know, you, you feel awful. So then it feels like you're doing awful, which makes you feel more awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only evidence you can find confirms, um, you know, your worst thoughts of yourself. I don't know. I just became, it's almost, and, and what's so difficult with suicide is that, you know, you, you caricaturize this, you know, villain version of yourself. Um, and yet that version is the most representative form of you. And, you know, I remember as I got to the end of it, I, I began to wonder, you know, would this even be suicide? Because I don't even feel like I'd be killing myself anymore. I'd be killing somebody else. I'd be killing something else that is not me. And of course, the conundrum of suicide is that it's like being chased, you know, by a person who wants to kill you. But if you kill that person, then you'll also die. So the only way you can get out of this is to love that person so convincingly that they don't want to kill you anymore, um, which wow. is a r- real difficult paradox to be placed in, especially when you feel so unequipped to love, considering your only experience is feeling unworthy of such a thing. Right. I remember, you know, I'd read as a as a as a kid, you know, you'd read excerpts of the Bible that would say, you know, I was always fascinated by, you know, perhaps at the Annunciation when Gabriel, Gabriel speaks to Mary and he says, you know, be not afraid or you hear people hear about people cowering at the feet of God because they're afraid. And I would always wonder why, what reason would you have to be afraid of love? But then as an adult, I totally get it because I do it all the time. And, you know, I think we're afraid of fearful things, but I think we're more afraid of loving things. And I've sort of chalked the whole experience up to, you know, what I call the birthday song phenomenon, where when you're surrounded by people who who love you, telling you how much they love you, um, it makes you feel squeamish. It makes you want oh, to squirm horrible, and hide. Right? It's right? terrible. Holy shit! I'm getting right now as you right? say it. I'm having a hard time with it. Yep. Oh my gosh. It dude, feels. Yes. And I think in yeah. a broader context of life, it's like the conversations I fear the most are the ones where I'm just going to be honest and tell somebody that I care about them and appreciate them and love them. And of course, those are the conversations we need the most. But we feel the most unequipped to to give to say. And so, sort of, you know, my remedy through. My personal remedy for myself was to to love myself in a way I felt unequipped to do so. And then of course, in my conduct towards others, I've tried to do the same, right? Where it's so funny when somebody comes up to you and they explain how their sky is falling. And you just want to tell them that like, I love you so much. It's going to be okay. Like no matter what, it's going to be okay. And then they say, you know, but what about your sky? And it's like, oh no, my sky is totally falling. There's no way anybody <laughs> can do anything about this. And I don't, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's pride. I don't know if that's just, you know, a limited human perspective but it's something that i've tried to have more grace in on the day-to-day that's amazing yeah and dude the, the guilt we have is that you know that little kid of just feeling like we're this bad person like you're saying in the way and and right. that's something that i've finally begun to heal this year i'm going to tell you a little thing that maybe you could do for yourself i'm going to try not to cry while i say it and fuck i'm going to try not to make you cry every time i tell somebody in the nfl this story they start crying oh, yeah. um shit i told this to the rock he started crying I went to, uh, to Thailand to go meet with these monks, right? So I go train Muay Thai in the jungle last year for 35 days. I was in a bad place. When I wrote this book, I stopped all my treatment for a while because I wanted to be as raw as I could. And that was right. not a good fucking idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it's dangerous for me and others. Right. Not good. So it took me a while to really get out of this. Um, and I had to go do extreme. I know we all can't go to Thailand for 35 days. And thank God I was able to. I went to a place out there that works on mind, body, spirit, and and kind of cleans you up from inflammation, uh, 
works in your body, like I said, but really works in your soul and your spirit. And I meet with these monks, and they're like your therapists and coaches. And and I was just talking so self-loathing about myself, and they said, hey, listen, this we want you to do. Three days, we want you to sit in your pain. And I said, I sit in my pain every day. They said, no, you experience your pain. Like, we want you to sit and feel it. And they said, but when you're doing it, what did you call yourself as a little kid growing up? Was it Jay? I said, no, Jason. I said, okay. When you are sitting there, like, we want you to sit and what hurts you the most is causing you the most pain. We want you to sit in that pain and hold little Jason's hand. And we want you to visualize that and put your arm around him and show him some compassion because he hasn't had enough. Mm-hmm. And man, I didn't understand what they were talking about for the first two. And then I finally did it, started healing him. It was liberating. And you talked yeah. about that from, as a little kid. But I think even now we need to go back and heal that little kid in you, right? And me that, that went through all that shit and got us to, to view things about ourselves that just wasn't true. And it's so funny to say that because I also say, you know, I, I like to sit in my pain. And yet sometimes there's is such a pride attached to our feelings. And, you know, I think about, you know, when if, if water were to run over my skin, I would say, you know, I, I feel the current or if the air blows, I would say I feel the wind. But I wouldn't say, you know, I am the wind. I am the water. And yet when I feel sad, I say I am sad. And when I feel angry, I say I am angry. And I take such ownership of passing sentiments. Right. And, you know, I've I've really tried to to not do that. And I've I've tried to sit in my pain, but never with, you know, visualizing, you know, a younger version of myself. Right. Which I think and, and you use the word compassion, which I think is such a beautiful word, because I remember another I was always fascinated as a child with the terminology of, you know, the passion of Christ. I thought passion is such a peculiar word to use with that because it sounds so painful. And for me, I always viewed passion as a very positive thing of, you know, the doing you think you doing something you love. Right. And I looked it up and it said that passion came from the the Latin root pati, which means suffering and comb meaning with. And so compassion doesn't mean to share in joy or pleasure. It means to share in pain and suffering. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. And especially if I think compassion is the highest form of love, then love is nothing more than being willing to hurt with somebody. And so for me to love myself, I just need to be able to sit with myself and feel these things and hurt with myself and be okay with it and not try to, I don't know, not try to blame people, not try to be angry at people, especially in the person, you know, I blame and I get angry with the most is myself. Right. Which is such an unfortunate circumstance, right? That's where you got to start putting your arm around little Harry. Right. right. And holding his hand because you deserve it, man. Right. And it, it really did change me. It helped me right. so much. And it's still something I, I do. I still yeah. will lay myself down at night and I'll say, okay, I'm going to take this time. And sometimes five minutes, sometimes an hour. But I'll, and it takes me sometimes, the ADD takes a long time to calm down so I could get there too. But once I get there, man, it, like my girl noticed, it's a game changer for me for that week, yeah. which is good for me. For a good week is terrific. Yeah. You know? Do you now realize like what a blessing you are, like the, the, to be able to use your pain to help others through theirs? Are you able to feel that? When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I try. In moments, yes, and then in moments, no. And I think that's the hardest thing about about pain and sort of like I pain is sort of just this sensation where it brings you more and more into yourself you know I view it as like I don't know I'm, I'm in this box and the box is shaking and I just I shrink smaller smaller and smaller and yet the only way to to make something of your pain is to remove yourself from it there's a and it's and it's so difficult because again pain calls you so immensely present and to be able to have a, a sentiment like gratitude requires a real omniscience it requires you not to be so so overwhelmingly present it requires a, a real peace and grace and yet you know pain is the thing that makes it the hardest thing to do and so it's hard then you know it almost feels like if you're making a profession of pain and, and as you've talked about like you know writing your book when to have to you know cozy up with things that are quite uncomfortable to to make real friends with with some pretty unagreeable monsters you know i've i've felt like when i when i'm creative it sort of feels like playing with like a dog with rabies where it's like having a dog sled where every dog has rabies and it's like they pull really hard and they're really useful and they get me where I need to go, but you better be careful playing with them. And so I think, you know, in the, in the effort of helping others, it is so extremely rewarding, right? And it's, yes, it's, it's so, it's the best thing you can do. Are you, are you able to feel it now? Yes. There, good, yeah. Good, good, yeah. good. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to make sure. And that's where people say, well, you have this, uh, you know, you make money off your book. It's fucking damn right. I do. It's my suffering. Right. Like there's no shit. Like we went through it. You know, it's your right. suffering. We get to now do what we want and, and helping others for me is the, you know, being the service is huge for me, but 
I've always used being of service to offset the roommates in my head telling me how shitty I was. Right. right? Was yes. Like, one thing. Well, maybe I'm, because I always felt like I was a horrible person. Well, I got this pain, so I must be a terrible person. This is my punishment. And now it's like, try, I used to, well, let me do these great things of being of service so it could offset what got me to think I was so bad. But yes. now with this being of service, now when I hear people say, my God, you've saved my life or you've changed my life or you've got me to connect with my, my son or daughter. And it's been, it definitely gets me to see blue and lifts me up. Are you right. able to like, tell me about some of these messages you now get from people and, and how it makes you feel? Makes me feel the same way. And, and I've received um, Good. You deserve similar it. messages, but it's fucking cool. This is very cool. <laughs> and um, I'm very grateful. I just think the thing I'm, I'm grateful for most was, you know, there was, there was a thing or there was a person I was looking for when I was going through something. Right. And I remember in the spring before I medically retired, um, there was a student athlete committing suicide every other week. And I would, I would talk with my sports psychologist and, and it felt like somebody was pulling a joke on us. It felt so absurd. And it felt, and it felt like, you know, surely somebody has to say something. And I, and I think that's sort of the, um, just somebody has to be say, just somebody has to say something. And I think everybody's afraid of just being a somebody, but it's so easy to be a somebody. Anybody can be just somebody. Fortunately, I was a person who could be just a somebody. And, you know, I had no glorious intention. And, and of course, when I was feeling the things I was feeling so drastically and so awfully, you know, there was no, I unfortunately, I, I viewed it as, as almost a martyrdom when I was depressed and I was thinking, you know, the only way I can get resources, the only way I can get um, visibility to this issue is to sacrifice myself. And of course, you know, perhaps I would have if I wasn't so busy between engineering and football. Perhaps I would have if I, you know, I don't know if like while you're reading your book, like, you know, I like to write and I just I love to edit and I can't stop editing. So it's like I couldn't even conceive of writing a suicide note because I wouldn't be able to come up with the final draft. I would be thinking, you know, I can't use this word. I, I have to put a paragraph here and. Thank God sort of, you think like that. <laughs> right. And that's sort of funny because then right. life becomes this beautiful daily suicide note where you say, you know, this is me. This is what I'm doing. This is what I believe. And, you know, hopefully there comes a day where, you know, death sneaks up on you and it's, and it's not when you're sad. It's when you're really grateful, when, when you're really happy. And then when it's all said and done, you've, you've put together a living suicide note that is nothing more than a statement of the things that you cared about, the people that you helped. And, that's something that, you know, I'm grateful that I had the, the pause and the, and the, and the, the reprieve to get from moment to moment until eventually I could say, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here. I, I bought myself time and I'm grateful that I did. Right. And it just lets you, you know, you don't have to, the bright side is if you, if you don't like the, the suicide note you write today, you get up tomorrow and you're allowed to write it again. And, um, whereas if you, if you commit to it, if you commit to suicide, that's final edition. There are no annotations. That's it. And God, I would hate if somebody would find write a typo in your suicide note, because then it's just, oh, what a bummer that is. So it's a great thing to be able to live and to be able to have a constant editing power over your life. I love what you said before, man. It gave me chills, but, you know, everybody could be a somebody. Right. That's one of the most powerful things anybody's ever said on this podcast. Really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that was wow, man. That was incredible. Before I let you go, and you might have already said this or not, but I ask all my guests, Give me your unbreakable moment. Like, yeah. you know, the, the moment that should have broken, you didn't, you came through the other side of that tunnel as a result. Yeah. You'll be better and stronger for the rest of your life. 
That's a great question because I think there are a lot of moments that are that hurt but are not unbreakable, and I think you need to be broken. You know, I'm a senior in engineering, and you know, I was I was I was reading an email that had been shared with me about this podcast, and and I identified, you know, in engineering, there's something called the stress strain curve, and stress is a force applied over an area. You know, you can view it as pressing your hand onto something, right? You apply a pressure. That's a stress. Strain is the the physical dislocations, the deformation of something, right? And um, it's it's the it's the tearing of molecular bonds. It's the restructuring of a material. And in this stress and strain curve, there's an elastic region and there's a plastic region. In the elastic region, if you apply a certain stress and you remove the stress, it's going to go back to the way it was before. Nothing changes. And there's the plastic region, where when you apply a stress beyond a yield point, which is what delineates between elastic and plastic, this yield strength, once you apply a stress greater than that, you now have permanent deformation. You now have permanent change. So say that that unit is yield strength is 10 pascals, two, three, four, five. That might be painful, but that's not going to change you. Um, six, seven, eight, nine. It's getting close, but it's not going to change you. Then comes 11 pascals and the atomic structure of you is changing permanently and it hurts so bad. That's the only way that you're going to get permanent deformation. That's the only way you're going to be able to change. And when you apply a plastic change to a metal, let's say steel, that metal is now going to be harder. It's going to be stronger and have increased strength. And it's the only way that's how you machine, that's how you make cars, that's how you make buildings, is you have to machine these metals into these rigid structures, right? And so for me, I think my unbreakable moment, my moment where I had to pass my yield strength and become something different, you know, I had a moment of self-harm where, you know, I was I was taking a box cutter to my neck and I was bleeding. And, and for a moment, I thought I had cut too deeply. And I thought, you know, I had really booked my ticket like this is it. And for a moment, I was really terrified, like little kid terrified. I was like, oh, like I just I just broke dad's vase. Like this is this is it. You know, I sort of held my breath for a moment. Nothing happened. And that night I went to sleep and my entire life I had viewed as this long table with all the people I loved sitting there around me. Really beautiful moment, right? And in this dream, I was there, I was in heaven, and it was a long table, and all the people I loved were there. There were empty seats all around me, right next to me. And all the people who had ever hurt me in my life came up to me, and we apologized to each other about all the things we did not know in our life. And they were my first guests at the table. And I woke up, I had this experience. Wow. And um, I was just very grateful. And I was filled with, you know, this overcoming feeling of forgiveness for myself and for others. You know, from that point, when things were really bad, I would just think of that moment. I would think, you know, there is a place like this somewhere where everything is forgiven. I forgive everybody. I forgive myself. It's okay. And, you know, eventually it's however many months, how many ever years removed. You know, I had I had surpassed my yield strength. I had been plastically deformed to become stronger and harder than I was. And I needed to be, right? Because if I wasn't, then I wouldn't have made it. But I I, I took it. You know, you, you took your you took your prescription of punishment. And it makes you something better. And so for me, that was my unbreakable moment. Man, that is, well, first of all, that's the smartest way anybody's ever described an unbreakable moment. You, you, it's an adequate <laughs> by metaphor. By far. <laughs> but it's also one of the deepest things I've, I've heard, man. I appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you didn't go deeper on that box cutter. Me too. Man, there's so many other people you're going to help, but now you and I get to walk this walk together moving forward. Yep. And I'm proud of that, dude. I'm proud to have you as a teammate of mine, dude. Thank you so much for this opportunity and, and for putting this whole podcast and all of these things together. Absolutely, man. And again, we're 
man, we're just starting. You know, I just talked to the NFL recently and I said, you know, what else can we do? I said, man, you guys are probably 10 years behind of a lot. Where, where you got to be, you know, because yeah. we're not even scratching the surface. But because we have somebody like you, we're able to scratch the surface a lot better and, and open up conversations where we don't really know where to go yet. Right. right? But we got to get us there because that's we all deserve. Right. Man, Harry, I really appreciate you, brother. I'm going to send you my phone number, man, on, on, uh, I'll DM it to you. And hey, you got a teammate to walk this walk with now. Sounds good. Really appreciate that. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you too. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 